Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning and to bring to you the word of the Lord. If you are soldiering on with us in our Bible reading plan, this last week had us in the first book of Samuel, in the first chapter. Uh, and this morning, we are going to uh, look into that, into that chapter, and, but we are also going to venture a little bit into the second chapter as well. And so, uh, before we do, let us pray uh, over this and we will get right started. So, Father, we thank you again for everything that you have blessed us with. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, may our hearts be prepared uh, this morning to hear what you have for us. Um, Lord, may we not just hear it, but may we act upon it. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So, uh, I have here by a show of hands, but it's more of a rhetorical question. Um, but by a show of hands this morning, how many of us have ever felt as if we were desperate for something? Yes. Uh, again, rhetorical. Uh, whether it is something as simple as a glass of cold water on a hot day, or something more intimate like the approval of others, the love of a spouse, uh, the desperation to get out of an ongoing grip of sin, or the desperation for a change in a marriage. I'm going to guess that at some point we have all felt this form of desperation. Oftentimes, when we become desperate for things, we enter into our what we call limbic brain. When we enter into our limbic brain, it is responsible for our fight, fight and flight response. And I believe that we will often respond way too much out of this part of our brain. Um, we will fight, scratch, and claw to resolve our situation to meet our most uh, immediate need. To the point of often burnout, um, we will push others away from us, thinking that we are not worthy of their love or their help. We oftentimes think things like, if I could just let this sin, whatever it may be, go, then, and then I can live. Oftentimes, while in this state, we forget our purpose as Christians on its most basic level is to glorify God in all that we do. Unfortunately, our thought process becomes, I need to fix this before I can start to begin to glorify God. Again, ultimately, the Christian's purpose is to do whatever we can to honor the Father. So there is a word this morning, and not the only word, but an important word nonetheless, that I would like to use to describe the Christian life this morning. I'm going to propose this word to you. It's a word uh, that not many people, I believe, would use to describe the Christian life. It's certainly not one that I've heard been used often um, or recently. The word I'm going to use this morning is desperate. When we think about desperate, we think about the baby who is unable to feed or care for himself. We think about a homeless person desperate for food or shelter. We think about the homeowner 
in Ohio in the middle of summer who has no air conditioning. We have all at some point in our lives experienced some form of desperation. Whether it was we believed we were desperate for a job, desperate for a spouse. And I want to propose this question to you. When was the last time that you felt desperate for intimacy with God? You see, when we have a mountain to face um, or difficulties, uh, we often desperately do whatever it is that we must to resolve the situation. The Christian must become desperate for our intimacy with God. One of the ways in which God will draw us to Him is through those mountains or through those difficulties to remind us of our desperation, to remind us that we are desperate humans fully reliant upon the grace of God. And in our desperation and in the Christian life, our number one calling is to pursue God. But what stops us from doing that very thing may be the thing that God has placed in our lives to remind us of our desperation and our need for Him. You see, we are called to pursue intimacy with God, and God uses our difficulties to help us do that. And despite of our difficulties, we are called to pursue God. Difficulties come in many different shapes and sizes. The difficulties that we often curse are often the means by which the Lord has used to help us recognize our desperation for Him. You see, today we are going to look at the story of a lady uh, who was living in those difficult times, living in shame, uh, living in despair, uh, living without the status of her time. Um, and we're going to see how God used those difficulties to bring about his prophet Samuel uh, through the faithful and desperate pursuit of his mother Hannah. We're also going to look at the other side of the coin, the sons of Eli. This is where chapter 2. So, um, the sons of Eli, who had been given what they needed, they had been given status, they had been given priesthood, been given all the things they could have desired. Yet, uh, they chose to use those things to pursue the flesh and not to pursue God. Which would ultimately lead to their destruction. But before we look at the sons of Eli, we want to first look at Hannah. And this brings me to my first point, which is pursuing God should look like desperation. So in 1 Samuel, if you want to turn with me, chapter 1, verse 9, starting in verse 9, it says, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting at, on, the side, on the seat beside the doorstep of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall, razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli looked, took her uh, to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? 
put, uh, put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been uh, speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made for him, made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Hannah was a barren woman, a second wife, had no children, and she cried out and begged for a son. She was faithful in her prayers and in her pursuit of the Lord. This led her to weep bitterly, crying out in her distress and desperation. I want you to think for just one moment when it says that Hannah wept bitterly in distress. Later it says she was speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. This is the level of distress. This is the level of desperation that we are to pursue the Lord with. To the priest, it even seemed as if she had lost her composure. This is a great example of the desperation that we as believers are to cry out to the Lord in utter recognition that He, with a capital H, is the only one that can bring us what we need. Now the question you may be asking is how does this apply to me or what does this mean for me? How does a story written about a lady so many years ago have anything to do with me in 2021? Well, there are some implications of this story and I'd like to share some of those with you. And one of those implications that we can take from this story is that regardless of our current status, whether it's socially, whether it's economically, whether it is in our education, is that we are, if we are to be faithful to the Lord, He will use us to do His will and He will be glorified. This means that our desire for intimacy with God will lead others to believe that we have, in fact, lost our composure. It is rare for someone to radically pursue anything without those around them believing that they have, quote-unquote, lost their composure. If you remember uh, in Matthew, uh, when Jesus was speaking to the rich young ruler, and he said, uh, in Matthew 19, he said, if you would be perfect, go sell uh, what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Again, this is a call to radical, desperate dependence on the Lord. If we look at Hannah, in verse 10, she says she was deeply distressed and prayed uh, to the Lord and wept bitterly. When was the last time that you prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly? 
crying out to the Lord and begging for him, for begging for that intimacy. Again, in verse 12 and 13, it says, she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. You can see the desperation that Hannah displayed, a desired, a desire to the point where Eli, again, I remind you, a priest, thought she was drunk. You see, in the midst of what life's trials of going on for Hannah, being barren, being a second wife, being constantly tormented by the other wife. If you look back in verse 6, it says, Her rival provoked her grievously, grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah knew, believed, and desperately sought the Lord, and he answered the call. This matters because we are called to glorify God over all things. When the world, and they will tell you this, you are not socially high enough, economically enough, or don't have enough, and I hate to use this word, but clout in the world, it becomes discouraging and we begin to ask God to deliver us from that and give us those things. What we need to do is we need to forget ourselves. We die to our, defl- our flesh and our desires of this world and fully rely upon the gift of grace that God has blessed us with. If we are to desire the will of God, then we must fully and desperately seek after Him and Him alone. This matters because our existence only happens because of the grace of God. We are not the ones who go and receive things or get things and then bring them to the Lord to bless In fact, it is quite opposite. The Lord blesses us with things. The things that we have, the air in our lungs, the coffee in our cups, this exact moment is nothing more than a blessing from God. We are completely and totally and utterly dependent upon Him for every single thing. So when trials come, We ought to be reminded of how desperately we need Him, focus our gaze upon Him, and seek Him in everything. Now, to illustrate this, my wife enjoys Ikea things. Does anybody else here enjoy Ikea things? Okay, good, no, perfect. My wife enjoys to purchasing those things, and I have the attitude of, I'll figure things out. I don't need help from some paper that came from a box. I can figure it out. Now, this attitude of, I'll figure it out, will 100% of the time lead to me calling inanimate objects names. And then... (laughs) Then desperately seeking out the instructions that came with the aforementioned piece of Ikea furniture. In the same way our trials work, we desperately try to solve them on our own. We fight, we scratch, and we claw until it's all fixed. My 
plea with you this morning, regardless of the trial, is to seek the Lord in everything, desperately. Even when our will doesn't happen, we ultimately know that His will be done. And we know that according, uh, that His will ultimately works for our good. And if that is the case, then we are to seek His will and to seek intimacy with Him. I remind you of what Paul wrote in Romans 8 when he said, We know that for those who love God, all things work according for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Turn to the Lord. Seek Him in prayer. Sometimes when, I fe- when we feel like we are uh, lacking earthly things, whether it is status, whether it is money, whatever it is we are lacking, the Lord will provide us with those things, but ultimately according to His will, not ours. Our call as Christians Our purpose at its most basic level is to glorify God. What He blesses us with to do that is not up to us. That is up to Him. And so, my plea with you this morning is to desperately seek intimacy with the Lord. And surely He shall reveal Himself to us and reveal how we may be a tool or an instrument in furthering the kingdom. So, we can desperately, we can choose to desperately pursue God or we can choose to pursue things of the flesh. Which leads me to my second point. Which is, pursuit of the flesh will lead to destruction. So in the second chapter of the first book of Samuel, starting in verse 12, it says this. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that any man, uh, when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat burned was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the meat to the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let, the, let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus a sin, thus the sin of young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Eli and his sons were all priests. Uh, the sons of Eli were given a great status, the status of their time, some would say. Yet they chose not to care for that position, and they did not use their elevated position to continue to glorify God. Rather, they used it in the pursuit of their own fleshly desires and glorifying themselves. 
they seem to forget that the Lord blessed them with this status. Um, or that their job was actually to be there to help others uh, become closer to God. Instead, they used this status again to glorify themselves. With status often comes this sense of, look what I can do, look how good I am at these things, this sense of earthly pride. Earthly accolades excuse me, often bring on earthly pride. And we begin to lose focus on the things um, where they come from, that they are in fact blessings and not earnings. Um, later in the story, uh, God would declare something to Eli about his family. If we flip to verse 30, it says, Therefore the Lord, the, uh, therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go uh, go in and before me forever, but now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me I shall, uh, shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eyes on the prosperity of those uh, shall be dis- uh, bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever." The only one of you whom I shall cut off, the only one of you whom I shall cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes and grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the swords of men. Nothing that we do here, no matter the size of our bank account, no matter how virtuous we are, and I say that because in 2021, uh, the sense, sense of virtue seems to be the status measure in our society. None of that matters because uh, ultimately we are not called to be the most virtuous people on earth. We are not called to have the biggest bank account. We are not called to have a blue check mark or to be verified. Our purpose on this earth is to, yes, live as holy as a life as possible and to tell people the good news. But ultimately, we do this to glorify God and not ourselves. If we are proud, we are not very useful to the Lord and He will reject us. The argument will then become, how can God be loving and still reject reject, his, reject people? Excuse me. We can see in this chapter that God did not first reject Eli and his sons, but rather God blessed them with many things and they still chose to reject God. These men were given status of priesthood, They were punished because with that blessing they were tasked with representing God to the people and they made light of this. And this actually is my fear every time that I stand before you, Mercy Hill, to be charged with the representation of God. It is that of so great, it is that of great proportion. Um, 
the fear cannot be put into words. And I don't say this as, woe is me. I just give you some inside baseball. This is not the point, excuse me, of condemnation in the sermon of people who have things. People who are here with status or financial abundance. This is not it, even a little bit. There's no use in guilting those who work hard and are, the Lord has blessed with many things. The plea, however, this morning is recognition that everything that is in our possession or that is ours is actually a blessing that comes from the Lord. And we must use those things that we have been blessed with ultimately to glorify Him in any way possible. This is also not a sermon of if you give the church X amount of dollars, you will be granted X amount tenfold in return. The Lord will bless you with what He chooses to bless you with. And so our job is to tend to those blessings and to use them in whatever way that we can to glorify Him, lest we be rejected by the Lord. The plea this morning, brothers and sisters, is to put down your fleshly pursuits and pursue with desperation the will of God, the things of God, and an intimate relationship with God. To illustrate this, I want to use, there's this thing that exists now uh, in 2021. Again, when it comes to status, what is called virtual signaling. Virtue signaling. Has anybody ever heard of this? Most likely. If you're on some form of social media, you will have at least experienced it, maybe not known what it's called. But in our society today, as bizarre as it is, in 2021, this has become our gauge of status. We all want to be verified, blue check marked, whatever you want to call it. And it's all based upon how much virtue Um, you have. Now, human virtue, uh, things that society has deemed to be virtuous, um, you must, in order to become verified, there is a set of code or a set of rules that you must follow to remain within this virtuous sort of realm. Um, it's not just in, in our secular culture, it is also uh, within our church, uh, within church land, church world. Um, because, and this is what muddies everything up, is that worldly virtue is not heavenly virtue. It may start with taking heavenly things, but... It removes God and becomes our worldly virtue. Now, let me give you an example. Um, Worldly virtue would say that we are to love everyone and everything that they do and to accept everything about them. I would say probably half correct. Um, And this is where it becomes different. Um, 
When someone is living in perpetual sin, I am not to love their sin. I am called to hate sin. God hates sin. I'm not to hate the person, but I am to try to correct, help them be corrected or turn back to the Father. Not that I do the correction, but rather to call them back to the, God, to, to the Father. Worldly virtue would see this as being mean, um, as being hateful, um, saying that we are to be like Jesus and just accept everyone or everything that they do. When in fact, um, we are no better than the sons of Eli if we are falsely claiming the name of God in our benefit. And unfortunately, this idea of being virtuous but not godly has leaked into, again, church land. Um, churches desire bigger churches, bigger influence. And as a way to tell the world that we are accepting of everyone, churches will oftentimes fall into this pit, afraid to plead with people to go turn back to the Lord and to turn away from perpetual sin. Again, the purpose of the church <clears throat> is to proclaim the gospel. So the plea this morning, brothers and sisters, is to put down your fleshly pursuits and pursue out of desperation the will of God, the things of God, and an intimate relationship with God. So, this brings me to my third point. The fruit of the pursuit. This comes from the first book of Samuel in the second chapter, starting in verse 1, and it says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, uh, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, and the feeble bind to strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hungry, hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit uh, with, prince, with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he set the world. He will guard his feet uh, of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall man prevail." The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. To quote John Piper, he said once, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So I want to look at a couple of the phrases here from this prayer of Hannah. This intimate, affectionate prayer. This is what the Lord provides 
when we desperately pursue him. We get to experience intimacy with the Lord Most High. The one who chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. So the first sort of fruit that we receive is joy. In verse 1 it says, My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. The joy that we are able to experience when we are intimately and desperately pursuing God is something that can change a life of any person. Uh, In Psalms 28, it says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust Him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. And I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. If you truly want to experience joy, I would encourage you to begin with the pursuit of the intimacy of, of the pursuit of intimacy with the Lord. The second fruit, security. Uh, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our Lord. When we are able to live in this truth, that there is none holy like our Lord, He is the perfect Alpha and Omega. He is our God. He is our foundation, the beginning of everything. If we can live in this truth, we can feel secure. A foundation is often a starting point when it comes in terms of construction. A solid foundation, excuse me, will determine how safe the house is when the storm comes. With the Lord as our rock and our foundation, surely we can rest in Him. The third fruit we would consider to be true humility within our hearts. Verse 3 says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from my mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and in Him actions are weighed. If we desperately approach Him and beg, there is a recognition that we are useless to get what we want in and of ourselves. It is true humility, excuse me, that will lead to proper worship of God. Finally, the Lord will provide us with confidence or freedom in His righteousness and justice. Verse 19 says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. We no longer need to worry about how things in this world will ever end. We no longer need to spend time seeking out vendettas when people hurt us. I revert you back to chapter 1 and verse 6 when it says, Her rival used to provoke her grievously and irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah no longer needed to seek justice 
for those things because she intimately knew that God would be just and that her only concern is to love and pursue God. Because she trusts his righteousness and justice, she is free to do so. If we are willing to plead to the Lord and pray to the Lord, he is faithful. This matters because when we are stuck or we feel like we are in a rut and we are trying uh, everything that we can do to get out on our own, we feel like everything is help, like everything is against us, like we are helpless, we are useless, or we are powerless. We are all of those things in and of ourselves. Yet, the Lord, if we desperately call upon Him in true desperation and seek Him, He will provide us with whatever we need according to His will. All we need is Him. When we truly become intimate with God, He is able to provide these things for us, ultimately satisfying us in Him and Him in us. Honestly, if you want to truly experience rest, if you want to stop feeling like the world is unfair, you can't do anything right in a situation, you can't find resolve, seek Him. You are right. Alone, we cannot resolve a situation. We cannot fix anything nor do anything outside of the sovereign will of God. Seek Him and seek His will. I do want to think about this for just like one minute. Hannah begged for a son. Hannah was barren. Hannah wanted a child as badly as she did. And I imagine on that day that she had Samuel was great joy and thankfulness. It was super pumped. But then something had to hit her, some sort of realization that she was going to have to give that child up. That she made a vow to the Lord that she would give him to the Lord. And she did. And I have to always think back how tough that would have been. How much, so self-disclosure, I have a six-week-old son. I could not imagine my wife at this point or any point willing to give up our son. I can only imagine what that took for Hannah to be willing to give up something that she wanted so badly. It is this intimacy with the Lord that allows us to do what He wants us to do. You see, oftentimes, the part, what Hannah understood, the part that we often forget, the part of the Lord's prayer that I think maybe we forget is, your will, but not, your will be done on heaven as it is, or your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, sorry. Right? Or we think about, the night that Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. We can rest in the Lord and become intimate with the Lord. He can reveal his will to us, which makes it a lot easier uh, when we have to give him back those things he's blessed us with. 
because we recognize that everything, myself, my family included, belongs to him, and he will use them according to his will and not to ours. Uh, Worship team, you can come up if you would. So then what do we do about it? First, we pray to the Lord. We pray and we turn to the Lord for He will sustain us. We are His and He wants to provide things to us that will ultimately help further His will. Follow the example of Hannah. Through her desperation came the realization of how little her status meant to God. It means nothing. She was able to become intimate and pursue God because she realized how desperately she needed Him. How desperate do we need God? Do you need Him because people tell you that you need Him? Or do you need Him to the point of loss of composure? To the point of others being concerned about you as you cry in anxiety and vexation out of distress for your need of God is that great. Submerge yourself in His Word. Submerge yourself in prayer. So that when the Lord blesses you, you are ready to tend to the blessings. So in closing, there are some questions I think that need to be answered that I will leave with you. First question is, when was the last time that you desperately sought or cried out to the Lord? If you are feeling like you are in a rut or in a place of desperation and you have tried everything, was the pursuit of the Lord and intimacy intimacy with Him part of everything? What does it look like for us to cry out in desperation and vexation. To truly be desperate and know that we are utterly incapable to do it on our own. When was the last time that you felt desperate for intimacy with God? What did that look like? The last trial that you experienced, instead of looking for yourself, or the trial you're in, instead of looking for yourself for the solution, when did we use intimacy with God as the solution? And finally, um, you want to want. We wonder why we get caught up in fleshly things or in sinful things. 
My question to you is, what occupies your mind? What we find that consumes our mind is often what we desire. I would ask you, are the things of God consuming your mind? Or are they just the things of the flesh? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this day, for this opportunity, Father, and for your word. Father, I pray that as we leave here today, Father, that our hearts would be stirred, Father, that we would so desperately seek after you, Father, that we would die to the flesh, that we would be crucified to our flesh and pursue your will and pursue intimacy with you so that you may reveal to us your will. Father, for anyone who is going through anything right now, Lord, I would just pray that they would turn to you, Father, to see you as the whole solution and not just a step in the solution, but Father, you are the solution. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.